Hello and welcome to another socially distancing mobile edition of the Quarantine Tree City Sports Podcast. I'm your host, <laughs> Andrew Baker, here with my co-host, usual Graham Moen. How's it going, Graham? Oh, you know, I'm just staying in my house, practicing my social distancing, and uh, we actually had something to watch that was sports-related uh, the last uh, few days we had the Michael Jordan documentary, and we also had the NFL drafts. I have not watched the Michael Jordan I will Me. at some point, but I am freaking tired about everyone talking <laughs> about it because they have absolutely nothing else to talk about. Well, we're Team uh, LeBron anyway, so, you know. Yeah, I mean, that's a debate that I'm just not ready to have, and I don't know. <laughs> well, it's like, well, so, oh, okay, I'm not going to go off on tangent here because this is a Browns <laughs> podcast, but if you weren't alive, during the era in which a player dominated, you really don't have the ability to properly talk about where he stands historically. And you know what I mean? And I, so it's like everyone who's our age thinks that LeBron's the guy Jordan, because we've seen Jordan day in and day out do just insane things. And yet I wasn't around when Jordan was dominating or if I was, I was too young to realize. So it's like, you know, who, who am I really to say, that Michael Jordan or LeBron is better. And also, you know, maybe, maybe this is why I'm an agnostic person, you know, in general. I have, <laughs> I have, I, you know, I, is there a God? I don't know. I'm not, I'm not an impressive enough specimen on this earth to know because I'm just another human like the rest of us. <laughs> that said, I have flaming hot takes when it comes to sports sometimes based off things that I've actually seen with my own eyes. And, uh, you know, unlike... Uh, the Nazis at the end of Indiana Jones. I have not seen God with my own eyes. So I don't know is the point. But anyways. It's like an interesting turn. So yeah, look, it's quarantine, guys. Just <laughs> get, get used to it. All right. This is just, things are a little weird, you know. We're talking about Indiana Jones and God and Michael Jordan on the Tree City Sports Podcast. That's what we're doing. So the Browns had a draft. They did. And everyone's excited. This is the tradition of the last 20 years. And well, generally, they have gotten things that usually they get things wrong. Yeah. But this is a new regime, which also is kind of a tradition of the last 20 years. Yes. And uh, they seem like they know what they're doing more than the previous GMs, which is also know, a tradition. You know, I'll say this <laughs> before we even talk about you know, the whole draft. I am at least really confident that these guys are not as big a shithead as Ray Farmer. At least it's not Ray Farmer. You know what I mean? Like, I'm very confident that our current front office is better than Ray Farmer because that guy is a complete... He's an idiot, okay? Yeah, you know, Ray Farmer was... Ray Farmer drafted Justin Gilbert, Johnny Manziel. Who else did he draft? Look, man, I don't want to emotionally go back <laughs> yeah. down this, 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 you know, path. He had forward, two bad drafts but... in a row, I remember. It was, it was like, historically bad. Two drafts and of in a course, row. The, the the infamous incident where he's texting the coach what to do during games, which is comical because he's an idiot. But I wonder what he's doing now. Coach, so you know. I wonder what he's Anyways, doing now. Anyways, we're four minutes in, so let's talk about what we're here to talk about. <laughs> so the NFL draft. So before the draft, uh, basically, you and I had discussed uh, the, the Browns' biggest needs in in a, in general order. We're left tackle, right guard, 
wide receiver three, linebacker, and safety. I think left tackle was the clear biggest hole. Yep. I think right guard, wide receiver three, linebacker, and safety were, you know, I'd probably I say you and I probably would think safety was probably the biggest one after left tackle, mm-hmm. and then maybe the other three kind of lumped in together. The Browns had pick ten in the first round. They had pick uh, nine in the second round, which is forty-one overall. Yep. They had two third-round picks. Uh, we were debating whether if you know, depending on how the draft goes, if they should take a left tackle at 10 or if they should trade for Trent Williams or if they should trade Odell Beckham Jr. and draft a receiver at 10 or if they should just sign Jason Peters and draft a left tackle in the second round. Mm-hmm. We debated whether they should cut or keep Olivier Vernon, depending on what happens in the draft. And I think the Browns did the probably the smart thing in terms of Trent Williams in not trading for him. He ended up going for a fifth rounder this year and a third rounder next year. Which is which, not that much. Which is basically a fourth rounder considering the Niners are who traded the pick next yeah. year. And they're going to be, you would assume, one of the best teams in the NFL. But, uh, you know, it's not a bad price. And I think it's a good move for them. But I just think that this Browns front office views things in a way that they're not going to want to add a 32-year-old left tackle when they have a chance to just draft one at number 10 who they really like. And, you know, I think that's kind of what you and I both said before the draft is if they don't love the left tackles available at 10, then maybe you consider Trent Williams. But if there's one you do love there at 10, I think we both agreed that would be, you know, the more rational thing to do. And that's what happened. Yeah, we found out that they really, really liked uh, Jedrick Wills uh, Jr., the tackle out of Alabama. He was actually by a lot of people rated as the top tackle on a lot of people's boards out of the top four. Uh, He wasn't the first tackle taken. That was Andrew Thomas, who went fourth to the Giants, which is a very Giants pick to do. He is the most pro-ready tackle. He'll step in right away for Daniel Jones. But, I mean, the pick by the Browns at 10, being able to sit there and get Jedrick Wills, who is one of the few people a lot of offensive linemen are saying can make the switch from right tackle to left tackle almost seamlessly. And while there's not a a huge difference, according to Joe Thomas and some other former offensive linemen, um, the, his ability to switch from right to left is going to be important for the Browns because obviously we have Jack Conklin and he has shown a high ability to protect the blind side of a quarterback. He did it with Tua. So, so I think be- that was the best case scenario for the Browns and they got someone with a nasty attitude and someone that's going to work hard. And obviously we have Joe Thomas here to help them along with Bill Callahan. So what better resources can you really have than, you know, one of the best offensive linemen of all time and then one of the best offensive line coaches. Yeah, I think it's not ideal that, you know, they can't get him in the building right now and teach him uh, because of, you know, the social isolation and whatnot. He was already preparing Uh, to play left tackle, though, before the draft, which is good to know. And he had played left tackle a little bit before. So he he does have some experience playing left tackle. It's just been a while. For the most part, experts on offensive line believe that, you know, transitioning from right to left or left to right, especially early on in a player's career is really not a big deal. And I would kind of default to them. I mean, I look in terms of offensive line, I'm going to default to Joe Thomas every time. And I, you know, like you said, Bill Callahan is a true master of his craft as an offensive line coach. And you know, that, that along with what I've read about Jedrick Wills, um, basically the fact that, you know, he's really good at, starting his block one place, getting the second level, like maybe, you know, starting with a combo block and then moving up to the second level to uh, engage a linebacker. 
that's something that's going to be really important for him for the, in, in the Browns, you know, scheme, considering they're running the, the zone scheme now. That's really an important thing for offensive linemen to do. He's athletic, which is what you need from that zone scheme. And it seems like he is, you know, he's the complete package. And, you know, it's, it's, it's interesting watching the draft like this. Uh, I think this year was kind of weird in the fact that there was no trades in the top 10. Yeah. And it was pretty much chalk there. Basically the top 10 was really predictable and there was just no fanfare because there's no fans because everyone's doing it on mobile. And there's Roger Goodell, like looking back at the fans on webcam that are obviously pre-recorded, And it just, it's kind of weird, you know? Uh, and yet I think it's really exciting for the Browns because they said that Jedrick Wills was their number one target and they were hoping that he would be available at 10. And they were really shocked that he was available at 10 because they expected him to be gone. And it seems like most draft draft experts uh, thought the same thing. And a lot of the discussion before the draft was that, you know, all these great offensive linemen, uh, there could be trades up. There could be, you know, as many as four taken in the top nine before the Browns even picked. Yeah. They were lied to. And it, well, they were lied to, or, you know, the things just went in a way that other players were available for teams that wanted them. And I think looking at the draft, it was chalk. And I think according to most experts and you can just look, I mean, there's a lot of guys in this draft that were really high pedigree prospects. And I think that that definitely contributed to the fact that it was pretty much chalk and there weren't really any trades early on, because I think there were so many high end players in this draft the teams were pretty much content to either A, just pick one when they were there, or B, you know, pick whoever was going to fall to them uh, at their spot. And I think if you're looking at the top 10 or 12 in this draft, I think it's probably one of the better top 10 or 12s. And, you know, I think most draft kind of draft heads basically said that they've never seen this many top 10 caliber players. They've never seen this many top, you know, first round graded players. And I think this draft in general was just uh, – you know, a really good draft. And, and I'm not sure how much the fact that we didn't have pro days and we didn't have, you know, a lot of in-person interviews and all that stuff. I don't know. Maybe the fact that we're just going based, you know, these draft scouts for teams and for, you know, people who do that for a living are just going based off of tape. And maybe, you know, there wasn't that time to kind of nitpick all the little aspects about these players. Uh, but in general, I think it definitely went to the Browns' favor that Jedrick Wills was available at 10 because that was the guy that they you know, were hoping would be there and didn't expect to be there. And he seems to be a really terrific fit for what they needed, not just the fact they needed a left tackle, which was clearly their biggest need, but in terms of the scheme they're going to run and the type of talents they're going to look for. And he's only going to be 21 this year. So right. you know, he's a really talented guy for his age as well. So it's look. Top 10 picks are not good, like almost half the time in the NFL, <laughs> which that, that's just kind of how it is. You know, it's you can scout all you want and you can review tape all you want. And eventually some guys are going to be good and some guys aren't. And there's not a lot you can do about that necessarily. Um, and yet I feel like, it, you know, it's it's hard to not be optimistic about about Jedrick Wills for the Browns. You know what I mean? No, I mean, I, I really liked the pick. I thought, I mean, it, I think it all, I think we knew we were going to get one of those offensive linemen after Arizona decided to pick Isaiah Simmons, which both of us were kind of, you know, secretly hoping Isaiah Simmons was going to fall to 10 and 
yeah. then, then it would have been this weird conundrum of okay do, do you take do you take him or do you take Simmons I don't know how they valued him because what obviously yeah they said work uh, Wills was the number one player on their board but for all we know Isaiah Simmons could have been ahead of him on their overall board and they're just saying he was number one at the time that he got picked because they never really specify those things when they say number one player on the board because a lot of those teams afterwards will be like yeah he was the number one player on our board or he was the number two receiver on our board it's just like yeah but what about the other like five guys that went ahead of him that were probably you know right. ahead of you at the time like well, obviously you're never, gonna, you're never gonna draft a guy and say yeah he was he was our backup option but you know exactly but so you never you never know with the browns if they had gotten to 10 if you know they would have taken isaiah simmons over wills i don't i think they made the right decision in terms of you know once arizona picked isaiah simmons we knew jacksonville wasn't going to take a tackle and that gave the browns a position that in the last podcast we said would be the most ideal, which is they got a pick of three of the four offensive linemen, the remaining yep. ones being uh, obviously Jedrick Wills, we, who we picked, but then also Tristan Wirfs and Mekhi Becton. Mekhi Becton went 11th to the Jets, and then the only trade up in the top 15 was the Buccaneers trading up one spot with the Niners to 13 to secure uh, Tristan Wirfs. But, but other than that, yeah, I mean, the offensive linemen didn't go early. The defensive lineman, uh, Derek Brown, went to the – Panthers at seven, which also pushed an offensive lineman down the board. The Chargers took Herbert after being connected to a tackle. And Dolphins took Tua. Yeah, the Dolphins. Well, the Dol- yeah, the, the smoke screen of the pretty much of the year was people saying, oh, the Dolphins don't like <laughs> yeah. Tua. The Dolphins don't like Tua anymore. They got Herbert. Everyone was like, it's for sure going to be Herbert. And then they took Tua. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, that was, I mean, I think the way the the draft fell, I think the Browns saw Jedrick Wills there, and they're just like, we 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 can't pass up on this guy that a played at a high level program, so he you know he's already been coached very well. He has been in a program that is as close to a professional team as you can really get in the NF or in college football. Maybe with like Clemson and back back when Urban was the head coach at Ohio State, maybe you could be that way, but. It's pretty rare that you get that experience. On top of that, he was a high-level recruit because of his athleticism. He played on the blind side for our number one team in the country that won a national championship. He's well, done a lot right, of things. That right there is, is important to, to, to note is that he wasn't their right tackle because he was their second-best offensive tackle. He was their right tackle because that to was left the blind side for their quarterback. Yeah, yeah. exactly. So he, and he, so he, and he has really good feet, like Joe Thomas said. So I – I'm confident. I'm excited about this pick. I, I really liked Wirfs. I was kind of, I kind of thought they were going to go with Wirfs just because he fit the scheme. But, you know, it seemed from, from what that tells me is that they think that obviously Wills can make the transition and maybe Wirfs also is someone that they value as maybe a guard instead of a tackle. And like Andrew said, you, often you're not going to take a guard in the top 10. And while there are exceptions to that, it's not always going to be an all pro guard scenario with that so i'm okay with the pick at 10 i really like it i think wills can be a foundational piece he kind of reminds me of like ronnie stanley from notre dame he's got he's really athletic and he's also able to pass block really well obviously stanley was a left tackle but i think wills has a profile of a of a long-term starting left tackle for the browns which really is means everything's now is getting starting to get put in baker's court yeah it seems like wills projects as uh, an absolutely dominant run blocker and a good pass blocker. And I would take that every day. I think at worst, he's going to be an average to above average starting left tackle in the NFL. Yeah. And again, he could be a bust because of injuries. He could be a bust because he just doesn't work. You know, it's impossible to know now what, how good he's going to be in you know, even as a rookie or even in two or three years. And some of these guys look great and they're not, but all you can really go off of is what you do know. And what we do know is, 
the Browns didn't even basically field trade offers when their pick came up. As soon as the previous pick was announced, their pick was already in, and they which was weird. So normally, normally teams milk that clock just to make sure nothing crazy could happen. But the Browns pretty much were just like, no, 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 draft him now, 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 go. And that kind of shows you what the Browns thought about them and about him. And you know that says a lot, I think, especially considering this front office is clearly more, you know, not just analytical, but they clearly have a more organized thought process than I think previous Browns front offices front offices have had. And I think that the fact that they were so clear that that was their pick at that time is an encouraging sign. Um, I think their second round pick was like that too. I mean, they were pretty resolute in picking Grant Delpit out of LSU in the second round. Yeah. And it's pretty fantastic. The Browns had a guy who it seems, you know, from all indications they were hoping would fall to them at 41 and they were able to trade down three spots to pick up a fifth round pick and then still get him. Uh, at 44 and I think that's you know he he fits a need like we said after left tackle safety especially uh, a rangy free safety was probably the second biggest need the Browns had and yep they've got Carl Joseph on a one-year deal who is presumably going to be the starting strong safety yeah he's not a free safety he cannot play off right he'll have a year to you know we'll have a year to figure out if he can be a long-term option there or not and in the meanwhile Grant Delpit is your uh, your free safety going forward, and he's a guy who has a big-time pedigree at LSU. He had a monster season two years ago. Uh, he actually won uh, the award for best uh, secondary player this year, which some people thought was uh, – He shouldn't uh, have. Yeah, correct. But, it should have been Antoine uh, Winfield Jr. You know, basically his play slipped this year, uh, but it was most likely due to a, a pretty major ankle injury he had that he played through, and I think it shows some character the fact that he was considered a first round draft pick and chose to play through the injury instead of just sitting out, which I really don't think you could have blamed him for doing, but he fits a role, you know, for the Browns. They needed that safety. They needed especially kind of a rangy safety. He's super athletic. He's, he's a guy that, you know, a lot of the draft people had a first round grade on and we got him kind of moving towards the middle of the second round. And I think that's, again, you know, the injuries could continue to go, you know, downhill for him or he could still not tackle well uh but all indications are you get a good player in his position where you weren't sure if he would be available and he fits a need so i think that's also an encouraging move for the browns yeah i mean the browns got a player who if you watched his 2018 tape you saw the guy play single high free safety he play cover two he play up near the box he'd blitz he would he kind of looked like derwin james out there in 2018 and a lot of people were super excited he was ranked as a top 15 20 player on a lot of uh, scouts boards going into this year. And he just did not perform anywhere near his 2018 tape. And a lot of people were really surprised that he just kind of fell off a cliff, despite the fact that he did win the award. A lot of that was probably based on his reputation. And also the fact that LSU was just running rough shot through college football. So it's, so yeah, I mean, Grant Delpit was, was, it was a good pick. But I think it could have been better if we would have taken Antoine Winfield Jr. out of Minnesota because I just think overall he is a better football player. He's just as versatile. He's a little undersized and has some injury concerns, but he has the instincts. He's a, he, he's a good tackler. He's physical. And obviously he has the NFL pedigree because his dad was a, was a really good corner in safety in college and in the NFL. So I really I would have preferred Antoine Winfield Jr., but at the same time Grant Delpit wasn't a, was, was still a good pick that – I think can at least give us uh, a free safety going forward. 
Yeah, I think uh, Winfield Jr. actually went the very next pick, did he not? He did. He went to the Buccaneers, and I think the Browns. I think he would have fit really well with the Browns having him back there. But at the same time, it looks like they really just valued uh, the abilities that Grant Delpit had, and of course, the Browns did have some success last year with a second round LSU corn uh, LSU player with Greedy. I mean, he was playing pretty well until the very end of the year when he was just kind of getting gassed, but. I think Delpit can come in and be a, a good contributor to this team. Who knows how good he'll be, but I think as long as he can regain some of that 2018 form, he he could still be a good contributor to us going forward. Yeah, I think they probably value the upside of his athletic abilities, considering he's like a 6'2 safety, uh, and the fact that we've seen two years ago, and the fact that they probably needed a, a true free safety, whereas maybe Winfield is more of a tweener. But, you know, if Winfield's a better player, he's a better player. So we'll find out. Yeah. Yeah. Um, third round they picked defensive tackle Jordan Elliott which I think was a surprise to some in the fact that they already have Sheldon Richardson Larry Ogunjobi and uh, Andrew Billings who they just gave five million dollars to be a backup to Uh, but I actually you know again I'm not someone who has watched college tape on every player in this draft or anything but process wise I enjoyed the pick because the the Browns basically have zero defensive tackles signed beyond this season. So Ogunjobi, Richardson, and Billings are all now on one-year deals. So I think that the future of the interior of the Browns defensive line is completely up in the air. And I think it's been something that's been kind of ignored and just because um, there are more, you know, probably pressing needs for this season. But I think ultimately the Browns really aren't really building for this season. I think this year is going to be a year where, you know, they kind of, you know, see what they have in a lot of guys, especially, you know, in that linebacker group where they did add uh, later in the draft, which we can discuss. Jacob um, also, Phillips. Yep. And I think that it's just going to be a year of them installing their system and kind of getting to see, you know, the guys in the team and which ones are here for long term, which ones aren't. And that's why they have so many guys they signed to uh, to one year deals. So I think that adding a guy, if they really like him, which obviously they did to be uh you know a potential starter in the future to a position that's totally up in the air is a smart thing to do and he's not a guy who's going to be starting this year or maybe even playing you know more than 30 percent of the snaps or whatever this year but i think late in the third round if you can get a potential starter a position where you don't really have anything settled long term you know i like that a lot yeah i mean i think it was a good depth pick for us obviously we're going to need some defensive line depth and i think now we have that along with the addition of adrian claiborne and free agency at defensive end the browns have a lot deeper defensive line than they did at at last season when they just had kind of the top four guys and then not much behind them so porter gustin now they have adrian claiborne and chad thomas as the backups to instead of porter gustin and brian cox so it's nice. It's nice that the Browns have that, and then obviously they got uh, Jacob Phillips out of LSU, uh, who did at times outplay the Patrick Queen, the linebacker who went in the first round to the uh, Ravens. But he's he's not he's transitioning from being a running back. He's not someone that is super instinctive at the position yet, and he kind of needs to have some time to develop. I don't know if he'll be like Devin White was for LSU, who was a former running back, transitioned to the linebacking core, and was pretty good, actually, for the Buccaneers this past year. I don't know if he'll get to that level, but he is someone that can kind of run downhill and get and hit people. He can kind of guard in the flats a little bit. He's got some athleticism to him. He's he's a good tackler, so I I, I think it could be a good long-term pick. I don't think he's going to see the field much at all this year just because he's he is really raw. He does need time, but I think he has he has really high upside to be a, a really – could a starting a starting linebacker in the NFL? 
Yeah, and you've got Mac Wilson, who appears to be probably the team's number one linebacker for the immediate future. Yeah, uh, great. Which says kind of a lot about the Browns linebackers, really. Yeah. Um, and you've got Sione Takitaki, who really didn't play much last year, and they're kind of changing his role around a little bit, so maybe there will be some potential there. You've got B.J. Goodson, who's a depth signing. So I think adding a linebacker made sense. I think that is a position that some people thought might be addressed earlier. Um, but I think that this Browns regime – is really showing that there are certain positions they value and certain positions they don't necessarily value as much. And I think linebacker is probably one of the positions that is generally not valued as much. And I think, you know, if you're going to be a winning football team, it's a sum of the part situation where, you know, if you have good players at all positions, that's going to be better. But if you have to prioritize, I would say linebacker is, you know, not near the top of the list uh, in terms of importance. And especially if they're playing, a little bit more of like a base four, three this year, which it seems like they probably will be, you know, I think that you can kind of get by with average linebackers and maybe they'll draft a linebacker in the first round next year after all three of these guys are bad this year. But I think it's going to be a year, like I said, of evaluation where they find out if Mac Wilson can really be kind of that lead dog at linebacker, whether they figure out if Taki Taki can actually be a starting caliber linebacker. And, you know, they'll have White back there as well. Or not White, excuse me, Phillips uh, back there as well. Yeah, I wish we had Devin White. Right. They drafted Harrison Bryant, a tight end. Uh, he's a guy who is super athletic. He's played a lot in the slot. Uh, he's a receiving weapon who also grades out pretty good as a blocker. He did win the uh, Mackey he's, Award. He's Yeah, he's had problems with drops. But he was the first uh, tight end to have 1,000 yards in a college football season in six years. So there's definitely talent there. And, you know, look, David Njoku is still on the roster. You know, he, he may well be for this season. Clearly, I think that uh, Harrison Bryant's a developmental type of guy. But, you know, we're going to play a lot of two tight ends with Kevin Stefanski as our head coach. And I think it's clear that David Njoku is, you know, we've discussed, I, I swear to God, for like, a mediocre tight end, David Njoku gets discussed more than anyone else. It's incredible how often he gets discussed. David Njoku is a guy who has not lived up to anywhere near his building as a first-round pick. He may not be a part of the team going forward. If he has a great year this year, he will be, regardless of us drafting a developmental tight end. And that's signing really, Austin Hooper. <laughs> well, and that's the thing is you have Austin Cooper. Hooper as your number one. So yeah, you're looking at you know a year, a prove-it year for Njoku, and you're looking at Harrison Bryant as a guy who – is a developmental guy who could be, you know, a receiving weapon at some point down the line. That's what you're looking at. And again, once you're once you're in the fourth, fifth, sixth rounds, we're really not going to break down all these picks that deeply because, quite frankly, the majority of guys picked in the fifth, sixth round are not going to be NFL players. You're really just taking kind of lottery ticket type things. You know what I mean? Yeah, I mean, a lot of the guys that the Browns – the guys the Browns drafted in the on day three was, you know, Harrison Bryant and Nick Harris, the – the center slash guard from Washington and then Donovan Peoples Jones, the wide receiver from Michigan. Those are all guys that just have good athletic profiles, you know, played, played at a high level in college, you know, maybe had some other issues or some other limitations that maybe prevented them from being high picks. Obviously Nick Harris, the center is not going to replace Treader. He's not going anywhere, but he could, who knows? Maybe he could compete for the guard position. Maybe he's the heir apparent who knows Harrison Bryant will have time to develop, but maybe this year, if Njoku doesn't develop, he could be someone that blocks and can catch a couple passes. So he could have a couple contributions this year. And then Donovan Peoples-Jones, if we don't re-sign Hollywood, who knows? Maybe he develops and can be a pass-catching contributor. A lot of these guys are long-term, but some of them have the athletic profile to be good contributors down the line and potentially uh, maybe later in the in their first year. 
Yeah, for sure. Overall, you know, overall, I think that, you know, once again, I'm not someone who sits here and watches tape on every player. And I'm also not, you know, a quote unquote football expert. And yet I think the Browns front office so far is doing a really excellent job of executing a vision, prioritizing certain things, kind of having a clear and cohesive plan, which, like I said, is they've got guys they've added to important positions to be core pieces. They've got guys they've added to, you know, maybe less important positions that they're going to try out for a year and see what happens. And some will stick and some won't. And they're giving themselves every opportunity to mold the roster that the way they see fit. And, you know, it's, I'm a Browns fan and I understand that optimism is often met with uh, the harshest of, of, you know, kind of clapbacks when you're a Browns fan. (laughs) And yet, you know, I, in seeing what the Browns do have done organizationally this off season. And then with this draft, you know, I am, you know, cautiously optimistic about the fact that they seem to have a real plan. They seem to have smart guys uh, in all the rooms. And uh, you know, now we wait and we wait and we wait for this quarantine to be over and for there actually to be football because there's no other sports right now. And I am sad. Yeah, I'd say now with the draft over, there's really is no sports to watch. So over overall, Graham, what's your thoughts about the Browns draft and kind of their their process so far? I thought it was a strong draft. I thought they they picked positions of need and they stuck to their board. They didn't they move, maneuvered, but they didn't trade so far down that they weren't able to get players that they were targeting. Uh, they made again their top picks were positions of great need. They we got our left tackle of the future potentially. We got a potentially starting free safety out of it. Some good rotational players, all the things that you want to build your team through. Because like we said last week and the other previous podcasts, we want players that are not going to be terrible. We want players to come in and do an adequate job. And I feel like we are this draft will at least give us a, a, some contributors on the team that can come in and in a pinch be able to perform for us. Uh, maybe for a game or two, or maybe just for, you know, 30, 40% of snaps a game. It's not necessarily b- drafting all the stars because the Browns do have a lot of high end talent. It's filling in that middle class that we've so sorely lacked last year. Yeah. And I think you mentioned the maneuvering. I, we did forget to mention the, the other trade down the Browns had, I think, you know, when the, in the second round, when you can move down three spots and pick up a fifth round pick, that's a smart thing to do when the guy that you wanted all, all along was still there. The moving down to the third one is really what excited me as a Browns fan because the Browns moved down 14 spots in the third round and picked up a third round pick next year, which that is an absolutely money move. I mean, you have to do that. That's and maybe there was a guy the Browns really actually wanted where they were and they didn't get him and they ended up getting Harrison Bryant instead. Sure. But I think when you're sitting there and you can move 14 picks down in the third round, so you're basically moving from the early to mid third round to the late third round, but you're picking up a third round pick next year. And now the Browns have an extra third, fourth and fifth round pick next year. So even after addressing all these mo- uh, needs, the Browns are still going to have extra draft capital next year. And I think that's what the good teams do. I mean, there's a reason the new England Patriots trade down every single year and the Bengals who, you know, have had a good run, but historically aren't a good franchise, never trade down. And I'm not saying that trading down constantly is a smart move, We've seen the Browns trade down and miss out on great players. But what I'm saying is if you get an offer where the value is clearly uh, really strong for your position and it can help you in the long term, it's something you've got to do. And I think that picking up an extra third round pick next year 
to move down only a few spots is really highly encouraging for me because it shows that they understand, you know, kind of how that they're not just going for this year. They're, they're really building uh, kind of a long-term future. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, no, I think they, I think a lot of these players could be players that could be long-term foundational, you know, just core pieces again, that middle class. Well, Jedrick Wills and Grant Delpit could be part of, you know, that higher end talent that, will come in and maybe start supplementing some of the other talent that will leave just, you know, as we have to f- f- pay Miles Garrett and Denzel Ward and Baker Mayfield and, you know, some of those higher end, th- some of those other talented players that are getting paid a lot like OBJ and Olivier Vernon and others uh, start to leave. Or, or these guys could suck and everyone could get fired within two years. It's true. It's true. It's just the NFL draft. We can spend all the time we want discussing why we think they were good picks or not good picks. We're going to find out when they play. And, you know, that's just kind of how it is. So we can discuss one, a couple more things here. Uh, There's a couple other possibilities, I think, in terms of transactions uh, for the remainder of the offseason. I think the Browns are mostly done. I think that one, there's only really one major move I could see, and that would be to sign to Devian Clowney and release um olivier vernon yes and that's a move that i think would make a lot of sense because the browns would be paying vernon uh or would be paying Clowney basically what they're paying vernon this year there would just be an additional like two or three million a year or two guaranteed and Clowney is better than vernon he's healthier than vernon um and quite frankly i think if you can add jadavian Clowney you and cut vernon and basically pay nothing this year and only you know one maybe one and a half two guaranteed years down the line I think that's a really smart move, and I think that Clowney expected to get paid a certain amount this year, and he didn't get it. So I'm hoping the Browns can kind of capitalize on that and also capitalize on the fact that now that the draft is over, you know, some teams also plugged holes where maybe Clowney would have fit. I think that Clowney would make a lot of sense, and, you know, I think this Browns regime is going to be careful uh, to avoid spending too much in free agency especially like you said, when all these young players are going to have to get paid uh, soon. But I really think Clowney would make a lot of sense. And if the money is right, which is an important designation there, if the money is right, that's a move I would be uh, really excited about. Yeah. I mean, I think Jadavian Clowney would be a, a big upgrade and he, I think he, does, he fits our defensive line. He would be able to be opposite miles Garrett. Miles Garrett has that speed, but, and so does Clowney, but Clowney is also a really good run defender, which would be really helpful in setting the edges along with having Andrew Billings now in the middle to help plug the run. Cause the Browns really do need to stop the run, especially in the division we're in, we're going to be facing Joe Mixon and uh, Lamar Jackson and all those Baltimore running backs four times a year on top of the other running backs we do face. So we got to have those players that are able to guard them in the middle of the field uh, in order to do so. Well, I think a re- another reason Clowney is a really good fit is that, you know, Clowney is, going to be a big money guy maybe not as big as he thought but he's going to be a big money guy right and he was you know a super high draft pick and i think some people have been kind of disappointed by his career because his sack totals aren't huge but i think the people that really know football that you talk to or listen to he's a really great player in the fact that he does everything well and i think if you have miles garrett and uh the browns interior defensive line has a lot of guys who are kind of pocket pushers i think if you have miles garrett and you have an interior defensive line that can push the pocket. I don't think that having your you know left end be a, a ten sack guy is a huge priority. And Clowney again, he's a good pass rusher, just not great. But if you can have a really good all around defensive end, 
uh, kind of long-term in Clowney, I think that would really, really make the Browns uh, formidable. And, you know, if they don't sign him, I think you're keeping Olivier Vernon because there's really no reason to get rid of him now, you know? He's... Yeah, and I think the Browns are, and I think the Browns have a deep enough defensive end line that, uh, group now that I think they could, you know, if they sign Clowney to keep him healthy, rotate in Chad Thomas, rotate in Adrian Claiborne to keep him healthy. Because yes, he's had some issues last year with the Seahawks with being injured, but I think we could, you know, make sure he plays a good amount of snaps. He can rush the passer, and I think having Miles Garrett on one side maybe would open up things more just one on one for him, but. At the yeah. same time, I agree. I think he could also just be a good person to be set the edge, be able to crash inside sometimes, and just be another disruptive person. So that way, the Browns can kind of just rush four or even maybe maybe five, and then sit back and kind of react to uh, the offenses we're going to be facing in the AFC. Yep, for sure. Um, another move I think that could be, you know, I think Dave Njoku's status is still kind of up in the air. I think now that the draft is over and he's still here. I think it's a pretty good chance that he sticks around, but he could still get traded for, you know, uh, uh, a guard or wide receiver or, you know, depth anywhere on the roster. He could still get traded for depth or maybe a future draft pick. Um, but, you know, he, he, like I said, I think this year for him is likely a year where he's got a chance to play better in a defined role and see if he can be, you know, a fit for this team long-term, I would really hesitate to believe that he will be, uh, but it's a possibility. Um, but still, it's it's worth mentioning that despite the fact the draft is over, there's still a chance he could move. It's still a possibility. Yeah. Especially if someone has a tight end that goes down in training camp or something like that. You know what I mean? That's true, because he did show flashes in, 2000, uh, in 2018 with Baker, and I think some team would definitely want to take an opportunity on that, because again, he does have the athletic profile, and when he does catch the ball, he is really dangerous in the open field. So he's not right. He's not a guy who's going to be out of the NFL by next year. Right. Someone will give him an opportunity. And oftentimes if a guy doesn't live up to his first round draft status with one team, he can become a useful player for another team. A lot of times it just doesn't end up working out with the initial team. I mean, Jadavian Clowney was the number one overall pick. And while he's a good player, he is not, he's definitely not what everyone thought he was going to be when he went number one. But he, like you said, he was a valuable player for the the Seahawks last year after leaving the Texans and he can still be a valuable player in the NFL. Yeah, for sure. So we'll see. Maybe the Browns can sign uh Clowney and really get people excited about this season. Maybe Njoku will get traded, but more likely than not, I think he's probably staying. In terms of, you know, free agency signings, I think the Browns are pretty much done. I think there's, you know, the Browns could add a depth wide receiver. Um, I, I don't think Rashard Higgins is coming back at this point. I think that they're, I know. they're the, the Browns are going to play primarily two wide receivers. They've got two great ones. I think they've got Peoples Jones, the developmental type guy who's not going to play much this year. They've got, um, you know, a couple guys uh, that Ratley are, and Kaderil Hodge. Yeah, Ratley and Kaderil Hodge that are you know capable. I think Kaderil Hodge actually showed quite a bit last year as a number three receiver. So I wouldn't be upset if he sees the field here and there and. You know, Ratley is a guy who's been developing for a couple of years and, you know, he might not be a part of the long-term future, but he's not terrible. So if you throw him out there, it's not like he's going to kill you. Um, but, you know, you never know. There could be a depth signing there. Right guard is still very much in the up, up in the air. If, the, if there's a veteran that's, you know, not too old or expensive, the Browns think could compete at right guard, there could be an option there. But I think for the most part, they're, they're pretty much done, uh, aside from all the, you know, the host of undrafted free agents they're signing. 
Yeah, I think I don't think they're going to make too many moves unless they can make you know the, a big move with like defensive end, like you said, and you know, or if there's a trade that becomes available, like for instance, if if they decide to trade for Yannick Ngakwe, I know the Browns probably won't just because of their analytics. They I won't trade a pick like a second round pick and then pay him twenty million a year. As good as well, Yannick Ngakwe is, I, it's just not it's just not in their in their plans to do so. I would think if you're not going to if Ngakwe and Clowney are both available and they want about the same amount of money and they're both about to do each other and one requires a draft pick and one does not, you're not going to give up the draft pick. Well, see, well, that's the thing. I think Ngakwe is is better. Good teams, sure, but good teams don't historically give up draft picks for the right to pay players top money. It's just not something they do. Yeah. And I think the Browns' current front office is is not going to be doing that going forward. And I wouldn't do it because as much as it might be great to fill a gap, if you're – you know, paying guys draft picks are valuable, um, not just because they're young players, but also because they're not paid a lot they're of cheap money. labor. Um, exactly. And if you're continuously, you know, giving up your draft picks to pay people big money, you're going to be in cap hell. Like the Rams. And, and, and the Falcons. And sure. Yeah, exactly. And I think that this Browns front office has a really good grasp on how to not put themselves in that situation. So I'd be, I would be, quite frankly, I'd be shocked if, Ngakwe happens as good um, as he is I would agree yeah because I mean he would he yeah. is I think Clowney, he's a much Clowney better player but... surprise me at all uh, I think there's maybe like a 30 or 40 percent chance that Clowney happens quite honestly but Ngakwe would be I would be shocked I mean Clowney's got three choices in my opinion he's either gonna go back to Seattle he's gonna come to the Browns or the Jets are gonna overpay him <laughs> because yeah. Adam Gase although Joe Adam Douglas Gase. is smart so maybe yeah so, are, do you have any other general draft thoughts or anything else you want to, you know, discuss about your feelings about God with us today? <laughs> I have not. I have not put. Him, I have not <laughs> thanked him yet today. So uh, <laughs> I guess I should do so. No, I'm just. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I mean the the draft was it was a him nice or escape. her Graham That's him true. or her it's 2020 him her or they get it right. Oh my gosh. No, I mean this was it was it was a good time to be able to watch the draft and even though it was a lot different having rod roger uh put stuff in his basement and you know do change midway through the show and dave gettleman put a mask on after he made a draft pick in his own house you know it had it had all had all the the ups and downs of draft weekend it had had the the draft (laughs) camera of bill belichick it was a dog sitting on the chair yeah So I mean, the, I it, am excited for when the NFL draft is normal again, and also when everything else is normal again. And hey, which is hopefully next draft, year in the draft Cleveland. Next year, yeah, is in Cleveland. Exactly, the draft is in Cleveland next year, and I think that you and I will likely attend that because if the draft is in your city, uh, I'm at least going to go. First especially round. when the draft is your Super Bowl, you go right. Well, hopefully next year the Browns are picking like middle to middle teens to like early twenties, but you know. Well, you know what? That's it. We can. That's how we can finish the podcast. Is we can discuss kind of what our thoughts are about where where the Browns are heading into this year. You, I'll go first, just because I've already basically laid out that I think this is kind of a an evaluation year. I'm not expecting a winning team this year. I'm expecting a team that wins somewhere between maybe seven or eight games, maybe nine, uh, probably seven or eight. Just considering, you know, again, a first year coach that can't have a training camp is not ideal. Um, and who who even knows again if the season's going to be a normal season? It, it's, it's it's things are weird right now. But yeah. I'm more encouraged about the Browns long term than I have been uh, in quite some time. Aside from maybe after Baker's rookie season, just because he was so good as a rookie. Yeah. Um, 
but I'm really, really encouraged long-term about the way the Browns have been doing things. I just think that this year, you know, they'll probably be an average-ish football team, and I would be okay with that. And again, we're a long way from the season starting, but that's just kind of how I feel. Yeah, my ceiling's probably at about nine wins as well. I think just because of, yeah, new coach, lack of an offseason, a lot of what you described. On top of that, they just the division got a lot better too. I mean, the Bengals aren't going to be as much of a tire fire as they were last year. I would think with Joe Burrow now at the quarterback right. and, you know, they added T Higgins at wide receiver. They still have AJ green and Tyler Boyd and John Ross. I'm sure one of those guys will get moved, but they still have a lot of talent on and they're bringing back their, their tackle from last year, Jonah Williams, who they drafted in the first round. And then obviously we have the Ravens to worry about and the Steelers are getting big Ben back. The AFC North is probably still is it's probably still one of the toughest divisions in football. It's not the NFC West. Uh, the NFC West is absolute brutal. Is absolutely brutal. But yeah, the Ravens are dominant, and if Joe Burrow's good, the Bengals will be a lot better. And I think the Steelers are the team that's kind of on the way out, but they're still a uh, you know. I mean, if Big Ben's still healthy, they're still a they're still a Steelers. Mike Tomlin showed yep. this year that even with a terrible quarterback, that team was able to win games. So I think Tomlin really got a lot of respect for me this year as a as a coach, just because of the fact that they did win games despite. And I don't think he necessarily condones what happened with the entire thing. I'm not saying I love the guy, but I think he did a pretty as a football coach, he did a pretty good job of getting that team to, you know, the wins they had. Cause you know, they traded their first round pick for Minka Fitzpatrick. And during that losing streak, we're like, Oh my God, they just traded the top 10 pick for Minka Fitzpatrick. And yeah, they came back sure. and they won. So the Browns are going to be in a tough position next year. And I think, yeah, that, that's why I say nine's probably the ceiling. I'd probably say, yeah, seven wins, eight wins is where I would go as well, just because they have the talent, but they just don't have the time to put it together realistically. Yeah, and that's okay. And you, ideally, you'd be ramping up right now, considering you have a good quarterback on a well, what we think might be a good quarterback on a rookie contract. But you know, the last I mean, he has regime, no excuses now. The last, the last regime really started throwing chips in the table a little too early, in my opinion, and they kind of messed some stuff up. So this front office is kind of cleaning things up a little bit in terms of character and also in terms of the process beyond things. Um, so we'll be back at some point. I don't know what we're going to talk about. We might have to get creative and start doing some unique Tree City Sports podcasts. Um, yeah. Hopefully there's some type of sports here eventually. Um, I'm sure but... we can get into Australian rules football or uh, yeah, or, totally do. or we can talk about totally. eSports like eFIFA and stuff like that. <laughs> or we can continue Andrew's thoughts about what God is or isn't. You know, we've got it all here in the Tree City Sports podcast. <laughs> we'll be back at some point. Uh, we don't know when, we don't know about what, but we'll be here for all your podcasting needs. Thanks for listening. We really appreciate it. Uh, as always, check out Tree City Sports. Uh, that's us. Check out Tree City Records on Twitter, treecityrecords.com. That's kind of our parent company. Um, I'm at abaker underscore sports on Twitter, and you know Graham's Twitter at G-T-M-O-H-A-N. Thanks for listening. We really appreciate all of you, and we will catch you all next time. Peace.